Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hi, this is Emma. And um, I've decided to open the call again. Uh, I just went into Derek's call, and I was in the chat room. And I know that he's having a meeting with the FBI Saturday. And it sounds like a bunch of smoke and mirrors and bullshit, which is basically what Derek does. Um, they muted me in chat because I was asking some questions to have them ask the FBI. And they totally erased me from the chat, which sounds like something Derek would do. So I decided to open my own call off his and um, put my own questions in here. And the first thing I'm going to open is a window. And it says, um, this is uh, The Guardian, which... um, the U.S. edition. I'm a subscriber. And it's about, it says explainer, which is British way of saying this is, to tell you about this. It's called Control Orders. Now, this is a program that um, they have in the U.K., which I believe is exactly the same as um, what we have here in the U.S. Um, this gentleman took him to court and beat him. And it says, what, I'm going to read this, and it says, what's the future for control orders? The government's control order scheme is in limbo after the Home Secretary, Alan Johnson, decided to revoke a second control order rather than disclose the secret evidence in this case. I believe, and this is my own feelings, that this um, control order the secret evidence is the do. They're using directed energy weapons on people, and that's the covert part of this case. And they mention that later. Johnson has written to the lawyers of a former IMM in Britain's Iraqi community, known for legal reasons only as AE, to inform him that rather than disclosing the detail of the allegations against him, the Home Office intends to rescind his control order. Following a similar case early in the month, Johnson insisted that the control order scheme remained viable. These decisions follow a June law lord's ruling on one of the most controversial aspects of the system, the use of secret evidence. In a unanimous ruling, a panel of nine law lords held that Three men subject to control orders were denied a fair trial by the government's reliance on secret evidence that the evidence must be revealed to suspects on control orders. Prior to this ruling, suspects had no right to know what they were accused of. Does that sound familiar? And were given no details of the evidence. Does that sound familiar? Against them. Even their lawyers were not given this intelligence, which was limited to MI5 vetted special advocates appointed to represent the individual. For security reasons, special advocates had no direct contact with their clients. Last week, the Home Secretary ordered a review of the control order regimen. What are control orders? They enabled the Home Secretary to impose a wide range of restrictions on any person based on intelligence information he suspects of involvement in terrorism-related activity. Now, you have to understand here that from work that um, several TIs have done, namely Anthony Poland, he found out information that designates us 
in the same category as terrorists. So I'll continue. Whether a UK national or not, and whether the terrorist activity is domestic or international. What do these restrictions include? Virtual house arrest. That's what I'm under. Including specifying where and with whom subjects can live and placing them under curfew for up to 16 hours a day, limiting them to traveling within a specific geographical zone, for example, one mile of their home, controlling their access to telephones, does that sound familiar, and banning access to the Internet, dictating who they can meet or communicate with, and what occupation or studies they can undertake prescribing where they can travel and what places of worship they can attend, electronic tagging, foreign travel bans, and daily reporting to and monitoring by the police. Does this all sound familiar? The Home Secretary also has the power to add new restrictions or obligations or vary them as he sees fit. How many people are under control orders? Fourteen. The courts ruled their names should not enter the public record because they have not been charged with an offense. As a general rule, they identified only by an alias. A total of seven people subject to control orders have absconded, including Sishan Siddiqui, who was allegedly approached to become a suicide bomber on the London Underground. He has been linked to a number of men who plotted to bomb the Ministry of Sound Nightclub in London. The case attracted widespread media attention that embarrassed the government and called into question the effectiveness of the regime. Regime? 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 I don't know. Of the 25 people who have been at some point but are no longer subject to a control order, six have been deported, six have had their control orders revoked, and three have been quashed by the Court of Appeal. Sari Boulevard, pictured above, a British convert to Islam, had his control order quashed by the High Court, which ruled there was no reasonable suspicion that he intended to take part in terrorism abroad. What happens if a control order is breached? It is a criminal offense, punishable by up to five years in prison or an unlimited fine. The Counter-Terrorism Act 2008 gives the police the power to enter by force if necessary and search the premises of a controlled person who is suspected of having absconded or having breached the obligation imposed by the control order. When were control orders introduced? In the Prevention of Terrorism Act 2005, which came into force on 11 March that year. The system was divided in response to the House of Lords ruling against Part 4 of the Anti-Terrorism, Crime, and Security Act 2001 introduced following the terrorist attacks on 11 September 2001, which was declared incompatible with the Human Rights Act by providing for the indefinite detention of foreign terrorist suspects in Belmarsh Prison who could not be deported without facing torture or death. It was ruled that Part 4 discriminated against terrorist suspects on the ground of nationality or immigration status. Now, I know that a lot of you are thinking, well, this has nothing to do with the TI, we're not terrorists, blah, blah, blah. But it does, because there are certain aspects of this program. There are certain COVID aspects of this program. The government claimed that although these detainees were a threat to national security, they could not be prosecuted because the trial would put secret intelligence at risk. The system of control orders was therefore designed to allow the Home Secretary to restrict the movement and association of both foreign and British citizens in cases where ministers said a trial was not possible. So they can use that against anybody. Are all control orders the same? There are two types of control orders non-derogating control orders that the government does not think require it to opt out of or risk breaching Article 5 of the European Convention on Human Rights, which protects the rights to liberty. These demand the Home Secretary last for 12 months and can be renewed each year or revoked or modified by the Home Secretary at any time. 
derogating control orders that infringe your right to liberty and therefore require the UK to opt out of Article 5. The Home Secretary must first opt out of Article 5 and then ask the High Court for the authority to grant such an order. It lasts for six months and can be renewed every six months. This type of control order has never been used. The decision to impose a control order has to be ratified by judge, judges sitting as a special immigration commission. Be challenged. Yes. Has the law ever been challenged many times? See, in the UK, this program went public, and there was such a huge outcry against it that they revoked it. And um, 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 let's see. Let's see. Many times in 2006, a high court judge ruled that the control order system placed terrorism suspects under draconian restrictions and was incompatible with the European Convention on Human Rights. A ruling rejected by the government, it took the case of the high court in October 2007. The law lords ruled that the government must rethink some aspects of control orders, but the overall system could remain in place. Various of the judgments by the law lords have called into question aspects of specific control orders, including the length of curfews, the use of closed material in court, and the Home Secretary's requirement to give sufficient consideration to the possibility of a criminal prosecution before resorting to a control order. So the use of secret evidence, suspects who have no right to know what they are accused of, no details of the evidence against them. Even the lawyers are given, not given this intelligence, which is limited to MI5, vetted special advocates are appointed to represent the individual. For security reasons, special advocates have no direct contact with the client. Um, what do critics say? Civil liberties and human rights argue that control orders undermine the presumption of innocence the separation of powers and the right to a fair trial. With even non-derogating control orders infringing on the rights and freedoms of individuals and their families. Campaigners also point to the potential damaging psychological effects of control orders. It's also been argued that the definition of terrorism under the Prevention of Terrorism Act 2005 is added to under Terrorism Act 2005 is too wide. The criticism leveled at the fact that the Home Secretary only requires reasonable grounds for suspecting that the individual is the individual is or has been involved in terrorism related activity and that there not need not be a connection between the person's alleged involvement in terrorism and the restrictions imposed by the control order. Is the control order restricted to any other security? Every two months, the Home Secretary must give Parliament a report on the use of control orders. In the latest release, the government argued that control orders remain an essential tool in protecting the public from terrorism. Every year, the system is also ordered, uh, audited by Lord Carlisle. The Independent Review of Terrorism Legislation most recent report published on 3rd February 2009 concludes there are a few people subject to control orders who have managed to maintain contact with terrorist groups. And that's about control orders, okay? Sound familiar? It sure sounds familiar to me. And there's another one here. And it's called... Let's see, I'm looking for it. I'm looking for it. I want to read about B2K2. Oh, here it is. I think this might be it. Now, the subliminities of acoustic harassment and audacity call to action. 
plug. Let me see if I can my plug. That's, oh, it's Fred Assessment Group. group. Um, this is blog that I've been reading. This guy's a T. And um, <clears throat> he's really, really smart. And I think he really nailed it as far as what the program is. <clears throat> but I also want to talk about B2K here. Um, I wrote a paper on B2K. And this is my conclusions, what I've come up with. Okay, let me read it to you here. I'm wasting my cell phone on Derek. I'm going to do my own thing with it. Derek can go himself. This, this is all about V2K, and then I'm going to read about assessment group, how this fellow wrote it up. It's really pretty good. The self in our brain, the lung part, is like spaghetti that has a bulb on the end, and they're called neurons. The space between the bulb and the next cell is called the synapse. It's just a all. Along the long, long end, a charge of electricity, of electricity is sent. This is a thought. At the space between the synapse and where the electricity is, and this is where memory is stored. Hello? Hello? For longevity, because the electrical part of the thought is in term. A radio broadcast goes through what you can all hear radios within the home using a radio frequency. The same type of frequency as in the Maybe faster, more powerful, but it's still a frequency. And if you go to Wikipedia and look it up, it will explain more clear than I could. If you're curious about any of these words, use Wikipedia and YouTube. The older analog TV worked with antennas. The TV station sent out a wireless broadcast in 360 degrees around its antenna. In certain frequency, each home had an antenna which picked up the signals from the station, an antenna on the roof. A wire went from the antenna to a receiver that brought these signals into your TV. This antenna system is called analog. Digital, which most of us have now, is a wired system. Your cable, digital, is a more precise system, a more precise um, um, working on dots of energy rather than waves. V2K is similar to the analog system. It uses antenna. That's why it's so portable. Your cell phone, each one has an antenna. It transmits and receives and has been used as harassment devices. I was told years ago it is an app in Android. Now, Android has hundreds of apps, so I don't know which one it is. V2K, instead of broadcasting in a complete circle around the antenna, 360 degrees, and only broadcasts one degree. That is called directed energy. That's the big difference between directed, and regular energy. From what I understand, V2K is two frequencies, one inside the other. It has carrier frequency in the video and audio, just like old-fashioned TV, that has audio and video as well. The carrier goes through walls and brings in the second frequency. That's the audio and video aspect. For instance, if you take a piece of paper, and try to throw it through a window, it won't go. But if you wrap it around a rock, it will go through the window. This kind of works like that. This is pulsing your head with whatever information they want. They can make your house move, commit suicide, murder, thievery, 
and they walk away unscathed. They steal from us all the time. The subconscious picks this pulse information up, and it registers with the subconscious as a command. This is what is overridden. These are called triggers, pulses. Brain has the subconscious that has the flight or fight mode. On the plains of Africa in our ancient past, we need to survive, and that is how our mind was programmed. Other animals have it also to alert the body to danger and have the mind make one fast, quick decision. Do I fight this or run? Fight or flight. This program, this aspect of our brain, controls and overrides all else. This is the basic element of our brain, our body, ourselves. The brain body does not think about it, but instantaneously reacts without doubt. For instance, if we see a car hurtling toward us, do we flight or fight? That kind of decision. If you tap into this subconscious mode, you control the person. Because these ideas sent to your brain via V2K superimposes itself over everything else, and they control you. De Tocqueville, a French philosopher, once said, if you control a man's habits, you control the man. And this controls your habits. For instance, right now I'm on house arrest. I very rarely go out anymore, and I used to walk every day. Woody Norris's company, ATC, American Technology Corp., has an office in Maine. I went up to see them, and they demonstrated LRAD and their version of audio spotlight. They called it HSS, hypersonic silent sound. The military aspect of this does go through walls. We know this. We as targets experience this. V2K is also portable and long distance. The pulse itself, itself is a weapon. When you get hit with it, big pulse or pinpoint, you feel beat up, and it has force. B2K can also be a bean and can stay on you for a while. I know they used to play movies as I went to sleep, and I would watch on the back of my eyelid as they played different movies, mostly fractals. I always wondered if I had a hypnotic effect. I'm sure it did. Triggers are short, intense pulses with audio, sometimes video, with anything they want for a command. These triggers are aimed at your subconscious because they know the subconscious rules everything, and they rule the subconscious. I was triggered. My neighbor has a driveway, and I was walking home from the bus stop. I took a right-hand turn into this neighbor's driveway. I've never been on his property before or since. He was standing with this man and a little girl with white blonde hair. I walked up to them, commented on the little girl's hair, and walked away. As I did, the man turned to my neighbor and said, See, I told you what she would say. I heard him say as I walked away. That is how pulse triggers work, and it can be very serious. Car wrecks, leave your house unlocked, can enter and steal anything you own. Um, and that's basically what V2K, how V2K works. And I believe this program is very similar to a program in Washington State called Community Protective Program. And this program, one of the startling things about it is the employees are not allowed to talk about it and not allowed to mention it, it's it's um, um, all um, covert. He also, um blog, like I said, I've been listening to talks about the assessment team, and um, I'm going to read part of that to you. Um, it is great insight into how you could be targeted in the first place if you really haven't had any conflicts, no real or perceived crime or terrorism connections. Even though these guidance is for academic institution and university, it's possible that 
communities and municipalities have similar teams in place. Again, no safeguards for accused to clear their name. Many individuals in the if you live in a country such as local councils have this ability as displayed in the Jane Cliff case. If you live in the U.S. or Canada, it might be the task of what's called a threat assessment team. This team can be compromised of just a few individuals to a team of many individuals. It depends on the company, education, educational facility, or community they are representing and what the specific needs are. Some examples include members of human resource, police officers, psychiatrists, mental health professionals, senior members of the department or division. In some cases, they might be just a small team who then liaison with various other departments. The team members are pre-selected, so the team is already in place. The team should generally be trained in assessing workplace violence, violence on campus, what to do, who to call, and they might also be trained in profiling an individual to enable them to make an assessment of whether an individual is a threat versus a non-threat to the environment around them. The first time I heard about this was when I went into the um, Virginia Tech website. I went into the security aspect of it, and they had a massacre there. I mean, many of the students were killed by this one particular gentleman. And um, he was mentally ill, and he had been rejected by society for a long, long time. So he, he got back at him, and he killed a lot of people. So they set up this threat assessment team at the Virginia Tech um, University. And it follows similar to what a TI is um, subjected to. So I'll continue. The threat assessment teams and who they are compromised of seem to make no concessions or allowances for being evaluated by a team of peers. In court cases, they try to encourage a variety of jurors so that a person being judged can be evaluated by a peer of the jurors. This, in theory, allows for theory trials and outcomes. With the threat of assessment teams, there are no such guidelines for who the team is compromised of or why the targeted individual community, what the makeup of the team should be, this may or may not account for why the targeted individual community has seen an above-average targeting of females and minorities. And that has been true right across the board. More females in this, 70% of females. In addition, dissenters such as whistleblowers, extremist site members, and conspiracy site members are also starting to show up above average, which is true. Once in place, the team is ready to take tips from the community around them. Generally, the team will liaison with human resources, the police, employee assistance program, mental health, and when a report comes in, they use these other resources to assist with their assessment of the target. Now, the only problem with that is if the um, the community around you is controlled by one person, wishes to shut you up or get rid of you as a whistleblower. This can be a very effective tool. Mine was used by local government to shut me up because I think I was asking some pretty um, pointed questions and they didn't want any they didn't want any problems with this. I, I, I think I have a feeling there was money exchanged there. I can't prove it, just a suspicion. Reports can be filled via a form. The reports can be filed anonymously. This means that the person making the accusation need not have any accountability 
and making a false report. This not might not be the case in every area, but in most of the threat assessment guidelines I came across, reports could be filed anonymously. Keep in mind that the report are likely primarily initiated by human resources, campus resources, etc. However, anonymous reporting of any kind leaves an organization open to abuses of the system that might be difficult to identify or remedy. Um, Third-party policing. A lot of us know about the security companies, how the security companies are subcontracted, and how um, security companies are not um, subject to the laws um, that um, the police are. So I wanted to read about um, the community. Community Protection Program up in Washington, D.C. And boy, I'm, you go down the list and it's exactly the same thing as being a TI. Employees are told not to talk about it. Um, everything's secret. So he's got a lot of um, chapters in here like cooperative punishment as element of cohesion toward pro-safety. That sounds familiar. How about, let's see, personality-based targeting, kind of profiling. Uh, he talks about the Jesse Ventura show. He thinks it was bullshit. I do, too. EU predictive profiling, wicked problem. I don't know what that was about. Gaming behavior policing, that was interesting. Community policing and human terrain. These are just some of the titles of some of the chapters he's written about, which I think are excellent. Net war, deceptive operations. It's about criminal investigations. I didn't read that one. Anti-terror law abuse in the UK. Disruption, suppression, disturbance, tactics. Sounds familiar. Strategies of psychological terrorism perpetrated by ETA's network. Read that one. The terror within. Uh, overt harassment, UK Operation Leopard, street theater as experimental, ethnography, never heard of that. Organized stalking as research, that I believe. Gossip. Radicalization and gang stalking. Criminology labeling theory. We're all labeled as targets. They use anything they they can find. Through the wall census, the law enforcement, law market survey. This is a little bit uh, old, but the, the devices are still relevant. Upstairs noise harassment links. Um, suicide statistics. I mean, this guy put a lot of time into this. Telling a story, narrative networks influence. I think it's excellent. I just read that one. Okay, let's, I'll read that one instead. DAPA's new research into narrative influence on violence. It is closely related to behavior mod 
modeling and simulation and non-obvious warfare. But ultimately, hang on a minute. But ultimately, the concept is more detailed. Identify and explore the function narratives serve in the process of political radicalization and how influence a group's choice of means, such as indiscriminate violence, to achieve political ends. Identify and explore how narratives influence bystanders to conflict in terms of shaping their attitudes and perceptions. Identify and explore how narratives shape the process of negotiation, especially between key stakeholders. Identify and explore the relationship between narratives and the mechanisms that generate and reinforce psychiatric or clinical conditions. Develop methodologies methodologies that enable assessment of the impact of narratives on attitudes and perceptions. Program has no set budget limit. Reading program presentation files, there is little that would indicate anything related to violence, radicalization, extremism, etc. One paper called the computational model of narrative processing in schizophrenia tries to afflict symptoms of schizophrenia in computer and succeeds. Mad scientist behind the schizo project. One has to wonder if all this computer to this bullshit. Is this somebody on my phone? Considering how computing evolved to the point where search results, ads, news are targeted and catered individuals, it's no wonder that a person could be targeted by intelligent design that is part of a sentence. Other papers and programs that self-mentions human experimentation concept is not new as this Dutch paper from 2000 explores narrative networks that create a Nazi. That's an archive.org. If you think about organized stalking in terms of narratology, it's all about the target plane and meaning in the process. Connecting dots between narratives, struggling to answer questions. What the hell's going on? The paper provides insight why it's impossible for a targeted individual to t- tell a story about systematic harassment that would be interesting to others. We are humans are hardwired to be receptive only to certain stories. Most stories have no effect on receivers. No one responds to story. They respond to specific elements in their pattern. Three, your brain is hardwired to think and to make sense through a specific story structure. Four, effective stories rely on eight essential elements. Goal, what the main character needs or wants to do or get in the story. Not what they do, not what they accomplish, but what they're after. Conflicts and problems. Anything that blocks a character, even temporarily, from reaching the goal is a problem. If the problem places the character in opposition to some other entity in the story, it is a conflict. Risk and danger. The magic ingredients. Risk is the probability of failure. Danger is the consequence of failure. Struggle. To struggle, to contend, to engage, to exert a great effort, to fight, to stand against, to oppose. Sound familiar? Details. Create all images and pictures. Create reality. Allow listener readers to see a story. Serve as spotlights for a story. Explain why a goal is important. Create suspense. Give characters a reason to face conflicts, risks, and dangers. Hmm. Eight essential elements of every story narrative. Who's the main character? Character traits make them interesting. What does the character need to do or get a goal? Why is that goal important? Motives. What conflicts, problems block the character? How do they create risk and danger? What the character does, struggles to reach goal? What sensory details will make the story seem real? 
targeted individuals can explain what is happening by following these essential characteristics. According to this theory, if they could, they would be able to generate some sort of attention. Scientists have known for some time that narratives, an account of a sequence of events that are usually in chronological order, hold powerful sway over the human mind, shaping a person's notion of groups and identities and even motivating them to commit violence. When it comes to security, little consideration is given to ethics. Now, while I'm somewhat partial to this approach on account of its bloodlessness, I have to admit that the potential for abuse is astonishing. Once these narrative networks reach full maturity, they could be used to indoctrinate indoctrinate not just enemy populations, but more familiar ones as well, like the pro. The very ways in which domestic fears are perceived could be colored by a security department hoping to create a docile and abiding population. And he gives links. Then he says case study suicide or homicide is the next chapter. Case study, Juragus, Radovica, yes. Um, European story. Underexplored threats to privacy, three through, see through wall technologies, he gives a big list of them. Bolo list. Be on the lookout list. And that's what I think we're on um, as GIs. Lots of times GIs speculate that they are on some sort of list, a.k.a. no-fly list, and that's what makes them a target. Targeted individuals might be placed on some list but I doubt they are targeted because of being on the list. While reading Eileen's blog, only available through archive.org, she mentioned BOLO, the lookout list. When I was last in Afghanistan at the Coin Academy, military intelligence issued daily BOLO lists of suspicious activity to look out for. BOLO stands to be on the lookout for. Men in white clothes always made the list. This was, of course, problematic and indicative of the vague and often inactionable intelligence the Americans collected since half the population drive drove white clothes. But that's for another post. This funny tidbit prompted me to check if anything of this sort exists in Western world. It's been around for a long time, as demonstrated in this Miami newspaper article from 1971, local streams, something like wanted list. Um, but it's related to automatic license plate readers. The BOLO list, also known as the hot list, is a compilation of one or more license plates or partial license plates of a vehicle or vehicles which a BOLO situation exists that is programmed into an ALPR so that the device will alert if it captures the image of a license plate that matches a license plate included on the BOLO list. The term also includes a compilation of one or more license plates, a partial license plate that is compared against stored license plate data that had previously been scanned and collected by an ALPR, including scanned license plate data that is stored <coughs> in a separate data storage device or system. Bolo list itself is one thing, but the data gathered from the field is another issue, as it can be used to build activity profile of the person over time. City cameras follow me and the public from Minneapolis police and traffic license plates readers have logged mayor Ibex city owned vehicles in the past year. who has access to your location data. Well, anyone who asks for it, according to Bob Sikora, Chief Information Officer for the Minnesota Board of Public Defense, Sikora warned in a memo this June that the location data returned by police is currently public. That means it could be obtained via record request by data miners or other members of the public. He wrote, enabling burglars to 
when someone's daily routine or ex-spouses detract former partners. That's interesting. The article talks only about Minnesota as policies are not set and differ from state to state and city to city. It is clearly a big problem and has high abuse potential. Now that we see someone's patterns in a graphic on a map in a newspaper, we realize that person really does have a right to be secure from people who might be trying to stalk them or follow them or interfere with them. Said Bob Scor, Chief Information Officer for the Minnesota Board of Public Defense, who recommended the classification. Ohio is a bolo list, but apparently it's a little bit different from New Jersey. On May 27, 2007, Sergeant Aaron Zamaro of the Springboro Police Department was on patrol when he heard on his radio a discussion among fellow police officers regarding a nearby suspicious vehicle. This vehicle, driven by Dixon, was a particular concern to officers because it was on the bolo list due to Dixon's possible drug activities. Bolos appear related to vehicle plates. Program promotion duties by preparing and hand delivering to deadline weekly, once the week, and monthly crime of the week. Media releases to media outlets through the region of blah, blah, blah. Military be on the lookout alert. Felt by the Army. Provide information to request assistance from military and civilian organization military units and at times the general public about specific individuals, vehicle events, equipment. These alerts are typically used when the subject matter is time sensitive and a heightened awareness by all available personnel is requested to facilitate the appropriate action. Follow alerts may be distributed in a printed form that over appropriate information networks are transmitted over radio nets depending on how the breach of distribution time sensitivity or other mission and environmental factors. Okay. Uh, selected quotes from the place of covert surveillance in democratic societies. A comparative study of the United States and Germany. I haven't read that one yet. That's pretty long. High policing. Um, a new way to look at modern policing methods and emerging organizational changes in law enforcement. High policing of all sorts is still viewed by scholars, judges, and politicians as corruption, deviance, and or scandal, and dealt with by illusion and impression management. If we look at harassment injured by targeted individuals, and it's enhanced mobbing overseen by authority of the law, local, state, and federal. It points to pre-existing conflict at some level, most likely personal derived from monetary influence issues. Where public resources are used to eliminate one party for the benefit of the other. Um, and it, it and then they go, it has extremely high potential for abuse. And then um, they talk about low policing, which is different. And um, corrupted butterfly. Looking for this. Um, he um, downloaded Audacity, which is what I did, and I could use it very well, but then they changed it and made it more difficult um, to use, so I no longer can use it. But I could set it on a timer, and it would. Um, basically um, monitor the room and download it. And somebody went in and 
screwed with it and changed it. Now I can't use it because it's too complicated and uh, I can't find the timer part of it. Anyway, here's Community Protection Program. The only journalist that exposes Community Protection Program was Ruth Teichrobe, T-E-I-C-H-R-O-E-B, of the Seattle Post-Intelligencer. She wrote series of articles about it. This is February 2nd, 2013. This was posted. Obviously, uh, similar programs exist in other states and countries. rest of the post consists of selected quotes from articles about the program. Most of the articles are only available through archive.org. Department of Homeland Security doesn't advertise the community protection program, the names of residents, and the histories are confidential. Even their addresses are confidential. We're exempt to tell anyone about the program according to most company guidelines. When I first became a TI, one of the things that I was told is that um, the employees were strictly told they are not to talk about the program to anybody. And I didn't think it was um, like DHS is using it um, um, to protect people's privacy. But in reality, what it's doing is keeping the program covert so nobody knows about it. You can't even name it. In some cases, community protection, when it works, seems appropriate. But one of the state's criteria in identifying candidates for the program is other, which includes any behavior which case manager may feel places a danger to the person or others. Some people in the program have no history of any offense whatsoever. Others might need help, but not necessarily this program. When 18-year-old resident, a victim of sexual and physical abuse as a child, is described of has humor, likes to help, but there's nothing else, according to state records. Real nice guy, but is addicted to drugs and alcohol, stated another person's offense description. The critics of the program say it, in effect, places people under house arrest for something they might do in the future. Does that sound familiar? We do have people out there who are essentially under involuntary commitment, said Ed the executive director of the Developmental Disabilities Council, a federally mandated watchdog agency. They haven't been charged, they haven't been prosecuted. That's not fair, and it certainly violates a person's civil rights. You betcha. Federal officials are investigating reports in the Seattle Post Intelligencer of abuse of clients and insufficient oversight of the state-run community protection program which pays contractors an average of $93,000 a year per person to closely supervise dangerously developmentally disabled adults. And what does that consist of? So two million to provide 24-hour supervision of 381 clients to do monitoring because they are sex offenders, physically aggressive, or set fires. All but two of the contractors are for-profit companies. I was very disturbed because it said, we need to look at that very carefully. She questioned whether the program should rely so heavily on for-profit companies. The state's intent is excellent. The Department of Social and Health Services contracts intensive supervision of developmentally disabled clients whose behavior poses a risk to the community, especially sex-related offenses, care in the community, avoids impersonal institutions. And this is what I've long um, noted, is that years ago they got rid of all the great big um, institutions where they housed um, mentally ill or people diagnosed mentally ill. They stuck them all in this one big building and fed them, clothed them, whatever. They got rid of all that because they were too expensive. And what they did was they threw all these people out. Most of them were in jail. Um, a lot of them uh, who were misdiagnosed, like me, are under house arrest and monitored 24-7. Um, my neighbors 
have all been alerted to my actions. And um, when I fight back or do anything that they don't like, like take them to court for their actions, their threatening actions against me, then my um, targeting increases. And it's a punishment for doing it. Um, and it says here, Louis, the mile. So anyway, basically, they don't have to supply your food, you know, well, Social Security or whatever, disability, clothing, everything, a minimal fee, but you're housed in your home, wherever that is, or you're homeless, um, slow kill. It's a slow kill program. Well, it's a mildly retarded young victim of a sexual predator in Washington State was put under 24-hour supervision with a for-profit residential care company. Partly to protect the community in case Lewis Abuse turned him into an offender, says the Seattle Post Intelligencer. He never had been in trouble with the law. He had never threatened the safety of others, yet the state placed him in the $42 million annual community protection program, the closest thing Washington State has to a prison without walls. Right. And then he goes on, um, DHS officials refused to release names of those who died, citing federal and state privacy laws, making it nearly impossible to investigate their deaths. Robert's death came to light because his co-workers took up a collection to put his obituary in a local newspaper. Roberts is one of 13 community protecting clients who have died in the past. Four years, all but one of the deaths has been blamed on natural causes. And Acres Landing client died in June 2001, a few months after accidentally setting himself on fire. The state pays for profit companies to closely supervise dangerous, developmentally disabled people in the community. While the costly program does protect the public in many cases, most of the clients are sex offenders. It's less vulnerable adults at risk of abuse and neglect.
Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.